Well, we've been working through this book, the book of Matthew. If you haven't been with us, the book of Matthew is the biggest gospel. It's a big, I think Luke's a little bigger. Trevor, which one's bigger? Thank you. Luke's what? Yeah, they're wordier a little bit, so they're both in contention, but let's say Matthew's the biggest book. So we've been going through Matthew, if you haven't been with us. We are on chapter 10. We've been through a lot of good stuff, like the Sermon on the Mount, and some of just the miracles of Jesus have been overwhelming. But now I would say this chapter, I consider kind of deep weeds. It gets into stuff that, it, it's sort of confusing, truthfully. And as a preacher, you have, you have to decide what kind of a person you are. You have to decide, am I a teacher who wants to explain every detail so you know every detail that's going on, or am I what I will call on this side an exhorter? An exhorter is a person that wants you to do something with what we just read. I tend to, to be on this side. Some preachers just like you to understand so you can do with it what you want. I like to understand in order to do. I guess you could say I always ask the question, so what? All right, I'm reading this. So what? Well, today, before we go into Matthew 10, in order to really process it, I want you to get a mind, mindset. I think if you understand this, Matthew 10 will fall right into place. And actually, the details will make more sense. To me, I like to, that fly has got to go. So the details, it's funny, my wife said, man, we have flies all over. Flies are everywhere. It's, it's the apocalypse is coming. That's what it is. So if you, if you go do a puzzle, the puzzle, when you start, you start with the edges because they have, they're easy to determine, and then everything starts to fit. To me, I'm going to give you some edges. I want you to go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10. And these are the edges to help you understand Matthew 10. Now, Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. Deuteronomy is written by Moses. Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law. They were getting ready to enter the promised land. If you remember, they were in Egypt, and they were going to the promised land, the land God said, this is going to be your land for all time. Chapter 20 of Deuteronomy begins with the title, Going to War. So the way the Bible works is the Bible is, it's the way God thinks. It reveals his ways, it reveals his strategies, it also reveals his heart and what he wants to accomplish. Deuteronomy chapter 20 talks to us about his strategy to, and this will sound weird, to invade this world. He's invading this world. And you'll understand this in a second. So the Old Testament, it's called, it gives shadows of what's happening in reality. In real reality to God is the spiritual kingdom. But the Old Testament shows concrete Israel as a shadow or an example of what really is taking place. And so here we are going to talk in a big picture term, God is coming to invade. And it's going to show his battle plan. So starting in verse 1, it says, When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. 
It's interesting, verse 1, where it says the Lord will be with you. The Holy Spirit's with you all the time. Just remember that. Verse 2, when you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you're going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted. Don't worry. Do not be terrified or give away to panic before them. For the Lord your God's the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. All right, so all he's saying is, all right, before you go to battle, don't worry, I'm with you. Here's how you go to battle, verse 10. Watch really closely how this works. When you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. It's very important, because I believe that's, if you want to talk about history, this is where we're at right now, but you'll understand in a second. When you march up to attack a city, make its people an offer of peace. If they accept, open their gates, then all the people in it shall be subject to forced labor and shall work for you. Ah, if they refuse to make peace and they engage you in battle, lay siege to the city. When the Lord your God delivers it into your hand, put the sword to all men in it. Okay, very simple. We're, we're going to battle. God's going to battle. Israel is going to take over the promised land, and they go into the promised land to take over a rebellious different groups of nations, Hittites, Amorites. And God says, offer them peace. They don't want peace? Wipe them out. Pretty simple, isn't it? They don't want peace? Wipe them out. So... Now we can go to Matthew 10. And Matthew 10 is called The Kingdom is on the March. And they are going to, Matthew 10 is going to use the battle plan of Deuteronomy 20 to invade this world spiritually before his kingdom physically set up. The king, the king is named Jesus. And actually, you, a lot of people probably use his name as a swear word. But that second name is Christ. Do you know what that name means in the Greek? It means anointed king. Okay, so, beginning in verse 1, he, the king, called 12 disciples to him and gave them authority, that's very important, to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. Apostle sent one. Ones that he gives authority to and sends them out. What is he sending them out to do? Make peace before he comes to invade. All right, here's the names, and they're done. They are sent out two by two. So in the NIV, ESV, it, you'll see them in pairs. That's why it will say first Simon, who's Peter, and his brother Andrew. They went out together. Then James son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They went out together. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. That's the guy who wrote the book. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. I feel bad for Simon the Zealot. I don't know if I'd want to be partnered with that guy. Anyhow, if you know the story, you'll know why later on. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. 
Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. Means it's invading. It's on the march. It's coming to your neighborhood soon. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic. That's an extra coat. Or sandals or a staff for the worker's worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there. Stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the house is deserving, let your peace rest on it. Let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust of your feet when you leave home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to local councils, flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So, this is the appointment of the twelve disciples in the sending out. And the first sending out is to the lost sheep of Israel. Later on, He's going to send a ton of disciples out to the Gentiles too. But right now, he's just sending it to the lost sheep of Israel. And you'll understand why in a second. So I want to begin by saying like this. When the king goes to battle, he makes a decree. The king's battle is his battle. The king's strategy is his strategy. So it's his idea. It's his kingdom. So it's his army. And he can do whatever he wants. It won't, to some of us, it just doesn't make sense. Why does he do it this way? I don't know, but he has every right to, because that's his battle plan. And he gets to choose or call who he wants to send out as ambassadors with his authority. So you could say it like this. Here's what he does. He chose disciples, and he's still choosing disciples. And disciples are meant to be sent. That's why they're chosen. Did you know disciples aren't sent to sit? Anyhow, disciples are sent. And they are what I'd call ambassadors, ambassadors who offer peace. So an ambassador has authority. So they have the authority to represent the one they have been sent by. So it says, Jesus tells the disciples, verse 1, and gave them what? Authority. Authority means the power to behave as he would have them behave or to enact the peace treaties he wants to be enacted. So he gives them his power and authority. Second thing, their message is peace. Remember Deuteronomy? Make peace with them. If they make peace, you don't kill them. If they don't make peace, it's not good. That's the point. So he sends out ambassadors to make peace. What you're going to see is the disciples had a job, and now, guess what? You have a job. Go to 2 Corinthians 5. 
2 Corinthians 5. And since I, I just want you guys, so the church, what is the church? I am presenting today. Here's my presentation. The church is an army of the kingdom, but the church is the peace ambassadors. This army of peace ambassadors comes on Sunday to get instructions and to get encouragement so the rest of the week they go out with peace. And what is peace? We find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that word in means they've accepted Christ's offer, and they are part of his kingdom. They are found in the king. Christ means the king. We use saved. I would say those who are no longer part of the rebellious group outside, but they now are included in his kingdom. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's new. The old is gone. Those old rebellious ways are over. You're now part of the kingdom. Verse 18, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, who brought us peace. Reconciliation means to bring peace to the king. And gave us now the ministry of reconciliation. Now we get to go in service to be peace ambassadors. That's why if you keep reading, he says, um, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Then look at verse 20. We are therefore... Christ's ambassadors. We are his agents of peace. Okay, so, first of all, if you believe the Bible, like so, we have been sent to go make peace, to say, hey, look, hey, look, the king's coming, the kingdom's in the near. If you don't accept peace, it's bad. Well, what's the peace treaty look like? Do you want to read the fine details? Todd, would you like to see the fine details of the peace treaty? This is incredible to me. Go to Romans 5. Romans 5 are the fine details of the peace treaty. I like to look at it like this. Let's say I have a rolled up scroll. It's got a red tie on it. And it has a seal of approval. It has a crown on it. You crack that crown and you unfurl the peace agreement. Romans 5 is the peace agreement. Would you like this? Here it is. So this invading king that's kind of strong... He's got an army, they're called angels, they're pretty strong, they're coming. Okay, and before he comes, would you like to make peace with this guy? I don't know, I don't know, what, what's the peace offering? Oh, Romans 5, it's a pretty good deal. Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace. With God. Okay, so I no longer am at animosity with the king. He doesn't hate me anymore. No, because I received his son in my life. Okay, what do I get? Verse 2, through whom we've gained access by faith into grace. Grace? Yeah, what's grace? Grace is his life, his love, his power, his strength, his joy, his peace, his goodness, his kindness. I'm given that. I get to live in that kind of land. 
Really? Yeah, it's a really good kingdom. Like, really good. Oh, okay. What else do I get? And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The hope of the glory of God. Yeah, that his, I get to share in his glory someday. I'm going to be made brand new. Oh, that's okay. Verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. So if I suffer in battle, there's purpose behind it. I'm achieving something, not only in myself, character, but I'm achieving reward in this new kingdom. Like you get medals and stuff. What do you get for suffering if you're not part of the kingdom? Like, this is always amazing. Atheists say, are mad at God. If God's so good, why would we suffer? Like, they're mad at him. How dare you? Okay, let's say God doesn't exist. Who are you going to get mad at and who are you going to yell at? So you're suffering with cancer and diabetes and all kinds of stuff? Nobody cares. But when I'm on his army, he, he cares. He sends me his spirit who's the comforter. It's not cool to get mad at God. Because once you get mad at God, you're left in this land of rebellion. And what do you got? Well, I got these atheistic biologists who really know what they're talking about. Do they? They die too. I got a king who rose from the dead. Can you beat that? I mean, seriously, can you beat that? And I say this because I've done a lot of funerals lately and I'm sick of it. Can you beat that? So what else you get? The last part is pretty good too. Verse 5, and hope doesn't disappoint us. Why? Because God has poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. So this king that I've rebelled against, if I make peace with him, he gives me himself. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of a deal is that? Doesn't God know he's getting stiff? Yeah, he liked it that way. Because he loved you. Okay, so that's the peace tree. So what's the strategy? Let's go back to Matthew 10, and this is where it gets interesting for me. Because this is where the gets in the fine weed, so I'm going to make it pretty quick. So the strategy, it looks like a target. So the target's the center, and then it works out from there. What is the target? Go to Acts 1.8. And this is what will make Matthew understandable. Acts 1.8. Acts. And if you want to look at like the Bible so you'll maybe turn into it more, this is the battle plan given to the soldiers so, that, so you kind of know what's going on. So Acts 1.8. It's kind of like if I send somebody to strategy and I give them a playbook before they go to strategy and then you send them into the warfare and they don't know how to use a grenade or anything, and you're like, don't you know how to use a grenade? We learned about it in the manual. No, I, didn't, I don't bring it with me. Why not? Anyhow, Acts 1.8. So verse 7, he said to them, the, Jesus leaves up in the heavens, the disciples, the ambassadors are left, they look up, they don't know what to do, and then a... Um, Oh, Jesus says this to him, verse 7. He says, it's not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Okay, so what he's saying to the disciples is, it's not for you to know when the battle's going to be over. 
when the king is actually going to come back and step, step foot on the earth and decimate the enemies? That's not your job. Your job is just to go make peace right now. And that's what verse 8 is all about. You will receive power. That means his authority. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses, my peacemakers in Jerusalem, Judea, which is a little bit outside Jerusalem, Samaria is outside of Judea, and to the ends of the earth. So it kind of starts working there. But it begins in Jerusalem to the Jews first. That's where it begins. So he, he gets 12 disciples. Why 12? Because there were 12 tribes of Israel, so he gets 12 disciples. So there's a correlation of the Old Testament beginnings of God's movement to the apostles, and then the apostles give it to the church. And then the apostles, the best way to look at it, they're like sleeper cells. They go to the Jews who are the sleeper cell of the rebellious army. They're already there. He's trying to wake them up to say, you guys, the kingdom's coming. Why does he go to them first? It's very simple. If you read Romans 9, 4, and 5, 8, 9, Romans 11, 12, I'll quickly go through it. But the reason why is the Jews are ones that were given the Ten Commandments. They're given a king. They're given a covenant. They're given a law. They're given everything to display God. Romans 12, 11, 12 says, and when, the, when people see it, and when all the Jews start coming, it's going to be, it's going to, be like a flood of blessing to the world. But the problem, according to 8 and 9, is not every Jew is really a Jew. Meaning, just because you're born a Jew doesn't mean you have a spirit for God. So he's looking for spiritual people. The same way, just because you go into a church building doesn't mean you're the church. Same thing, same idea. But here's the problem. When Jesus came, the Jews rejected it. So he had to go after a whole different group of people. So he first started in Judea, Samaria, and then we're the purple group. We're the uttermost parts of the earth. I really think Kent City is the last place he meant to go to. You know, Jerusalem's way over there. I think because Kent City is starting to re respond, that's a sign maybe he's done, you know? I think we're the last one. Just kidding. Just kidding. Maybe I'm not. You never know. Like, would you choose Kent City first? I don't know. It's up to you to make that decision. That's not for me to say. So the Gentiles are next. I want you to go to Romans 11.25. This is very interesting. There's some verses that make your eyebrows go, go up and go, what? That's what this does to me. Romans 11.25. So Paul writes, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. This is the, to me, the mystery is somewhat the coming of the kingdom, somewhat the calling of the different tribes and nations and Jews and then Gentiles. And if you don't know what a Gentile is, just think of non-Jew. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. He's talking to the Gentiles. Don't be conceited. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're special. It means that God has given it to Israel. They rejected it, so God went to you second place. And if you are now an ambassador and have his authority, you should be grateful. Like, why? He's including me? Why shouldn't we be conceited? Because uh, Israel has experienced a hardening, in part, until the full number of the Gentiles have come in. There's a lot of speculation. What does that mean? Here's what I think it means. 
I think there's possibly a number of Gentiles that are going to get saved, and when that last number finally gets saved, then he's done, and he's going back to the Jews, and that means the end of the world. I think it's close. Okay, so it starts with the target, sends the disciples to the 12 tribes. You're going to see later he goes to the Gentiles. Ultimately, they grew hard. Now we are the sleeper cell. We in our homes, in our businesses, in our schools are the sleeper cells who are peace ambassadors meant to get more people to come to the kingdom. That's our job. Let me show you. Go to John 1. This is an incredible passage. Oh, I love this because it's so clear. John 1. John 1, starting in verse 5. He says, the light shines in the darkness, and the light means, is, whenever you read light in John, it's the life of God. Specifically, this is about Jesus. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood. So there is a kingdom of light, Colossians 1, and a kingdom of darkness. Darkness are those people that reject him, rebellious, want nothing to do with God. So the kingdom of light has come in. Verse 6. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light. So John the Baptist came to say the light's coming so that all men through him might believe. John was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light to prepare people for the light. So watch verse, starting in verse 9. This is where it gets interesting. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was leaving heaven to step on earth to make claim to this earth. That he's going to invade. Verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Who was his own? The Jews. They didn't receive him. Verse 11. He came to that which was his own, his own didn't receive him, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, who believed, took the peace treaty, he gave the right. You know what that word is? Authority. Authority, power, to become the children of God. Children not born of natural descent because you're from some family. Not a human decision because you chose to work hard for him. Not of a husband's will because the baby got baptized or circumcised. Nothing to do with that, but born of God. God calls his agents, his ambassadors, and he sends them out with his power. Okay, so the question is, are you one? So I want to go to Matthew 10 quickly and give you ways to tell if you truly are an ambassador. If you truly are a disciple, a sent one. There's four little, what I'd call identifying marks on your heart that can kind of tell if you're sent. The first one is this. You begin taking your job seriously. Like you start to realize you're here on this earth for real reasons. Like, look at verse 11 of chapter 10 of Matthew. Whatever town or village you enter, search, search for some. Missed it. Search for some. It's just driving me crazy. I'm sorry. It's driving me nuts. 
It's the devil, Beelzebub, king of the fly, lord of the fly. He does not like this message. All right, so whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. So you're an ambassador. You're looking for somebody who respects the message. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that. I'm not going to go into specifics how we do this, but there is a point to where if I continue to share the gospel and people just keep mocking me, stop. But if I share the gospel and somebody's like, tell me more, stay. But look what it says in verse 15. I tell you the truth. That town that doesn't want you, that person that doesn't care, uh, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah. Have you ever heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? No, tell me about Sodom and Gomorrah. All right. Sodom and Gomorrah had wicked people, like detestable people. Men would sleep with men. They wanted to sleep with angels. They were wicked. And God was fed up. I mean, they were practicing all kind of what I would call Oh, stylized sexual practices, you know, preference, preferential practices, and God was tired of it. So he rained down, he rained down fire. Verse 15, I tell you the truth, it would be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah. How can it be more bearable? Because that happened one day. For those who reject the gospel, it doesn't, that fire and sulfur and stuff doesn't end. Do you believe that? I don't know if anybody believes that anymore. And if it's true, what in the world? Crazy. It's funny. I was thinking about it. Actually, Thornton, you have a son who's in the service. Do they, when, like when they equipped your son to go into service, because he was down in, um, down in Southern California, Marine Base, is that where he was? Did they give him a fishing pole when he's going to go fight? They didn't. Would they give them like guns, armor, tanks? No fishing poles? No, no like backpacks with gym shoes to just go enjoy the countryside while they're going to invade the army? They don't give fishing poles to soldiers. We have a serious job, and I don't think we believe it anymore. I'll talk about that in a minute when I kind of close. Second thing is true disciples live light. What I mean by that is they, um, we are emissaries of heaven, not, not earth dwellers. Not here to make more money than everybody else and have more toys than anybody else and to just live it up. Like listen to verse um, 9. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts, take no bag for the journey, or extra tunic or sandals. And I know this was really specific to that calling, but there is a principle to that. We're stop holding so tightly to this earth. Look at uh, Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm sorry, chapter 12, 1 and 2. It's your fault, Aaron. I see you smiling. Your smile is drawing, your gleam of your teeth are drawing in the flies. 
All right, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. So it says, therefore, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And the idea to me of witnesses is Hebrews 11 are all these great saints that went before us. It's like a baton relay race. They already ran their race. Now they're handing us a baton and now they're watching us run the salvation race. It's our turn. They've done their job. You have the baton. So we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Why? Why don't get caught up in all this sinful all the time? Because we have a, we have a race to run. Look at how Jesus ran it, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So for joy, what is joy? The joy set before him was you and I being saved, being all, receiving peace. He died. He sacrificed for seeing us in heaven. Can you sacrifice maybe for your brother or your daughter or somebody who's not yet a citizen so you can live with them forever? Uh, the third thing is true disciples are often unwelcome. That's what Matthew 10 says. You might be handed over to local councils. Um, there's wolves out there. They want to tear you up. So don't be surprised if it's hard to be a Christian. If you don't fit in. As Luke says, if they don't want to include you, you're excluded. People say bad things about you. Don't be surprised. You're a soldier. It's funny, the... Um, Taliban didn't like those American soldiers too well. Rebels shouldn't like people that want to be holy because we, we don't condone their rebellion and they don't like that because they want us to join in with it. But you understand that. Just don't be surprised if you're unwelcome. And then the last, last one, the most important, is true disciples are provided with what they need. Soldiers are given by their army, and their sergeant, supplies. What supply are we given? Oh, Matthew 10, 19, and 20. When they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. Words. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father. Oh, we'll be, we're given the Holy Spirit who will comfort us and equip us and be beside us. Yeah. Back in about, uh, I was thinking back, back in about 1989, I met this guy who joined the army. Joined the army. And I say, why do you want to join the army? He said, because they give me free college, GI Bill, loans, that kind of stuff. It's a great deal. Pay off some of my student debt, you know. Join the army. Okay. But he didn't realize the army that he joined was going to go to Baghdad. And he saw some people die in Baghdad. He saw blood. Some of his friends were shot dead on the streets of Baghdad. And he came back to the United States and he was mad at the American government. I, I can't believe I saw all that slaughter. My friends died and they sent me over to that terrible thing. Can I ask you a question? What do you think the army is? The army is meant to pay for my college. That's why I joined the army. 
But what is the army designed for? It's to fight war, right? I don't like that. I thought the army was for me. What's the church for? It's for me. The church is for me. And doggone, if the church doesn't take care of me, I'm just going to quit. I'm going to quit the army. I got better things to do. I can go to hang out by myself. I can, I can kind of live a peaceful life and just be alone. What is the point of the church? What's the point of the army? Honestly, the point of the army is to join together because the commander is that important. His kingdom is that good. It really is. And yes, sometimes when we fight in battle, other soldiers irritate us. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes they really... I remember playing football, and I, I had this one guy whose locker was right next to mine, and he would, he, would, he would not wash his pads all season. And he would open it out, and I'm telling you, snakes and caterpillars would come out of that locker. Say, <laughs> so that locker stinks. But I'm telling you, that guy could block for me like nobody else. Wow. He was on my team. The kingdom is coming. It's really coming. And the way you can tell it's coming is, number one, there's an enemy that's going to go against you. Number two, that enemy is crafty. And his goal is to make it seem like there is no war going on. There really isn't. So why, why are you fighting? Why are you taking it so serious? And I'd say the third thing, the way he wins is by dividing and conquer and convincing soldiers that they're just here to be taken care of, not to be ambassadors with the authority of the greatest person who ever walked this earth. We get to represent him. I want to show you one thing. This is overwhelming to me. Okay, so you remember Deuteronomy 20. What happens, see if you can remember, what happens if I go into the town and I offer peace and they accept peace? What happens to the people, anybody? They become what? They become enslaved. That doesn't sound too good, does it? Like if I'm, if I'm accepting peace, it doesn't sound too good. Or what if I don't accept peace, Dale? Okay, so they get slaughtered. So I'm either, <laughs> I'm either a slave, right, or I get slaughtered. So the deal isn't, I guess the deal's pretty good, but it doesn't sound too good because slavery doesn't sound too good, right? I mean, honestly, if you read it like that, you're like, that's really, that's mean. Okay, okay, it does sound mean. But I want to show you something that our king said in John 15. So Dale's reasoning is right on the button. That's how I reasoned when I heard it. So I'm like, okay, if this is God's battle plan, he's kind of mean. I mean, either you become my slave or you get slaughtered. Ah, that's not too good. On either, either way. John 15. John 15. 15. Here's what it says. I no longer call you slaves. 
because the slave does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Wait a minute. If I get this straight, the invading king, if I accept the peace offer, the invading king who gives me everything, he gives me everything. Like he gives me peace, he gives me understanding through suffering, he gives me himself. But if I accept him and I really get to know Jesus, I no longer am a slave? Right. Well, what do I become? His friend. What? Jesus is the greatest. He's the greatest king. He's the greatest general anybody could ever want. And so I, I guess, like remember and I said, we can teach it. Like I could have gone, I could have gone another two hours teaching all the fine points of this, the lost tribes of Israel and all of that. But I think the question is, so what? All right, so the question of so what is, what we read about Matthew, so what? I think it's really simple. Do you believe there's really a kingdom that is going to come and it's going to be real? I mean, as real as this, touching this, that when this kingdom comes, all of the garbage of this world is going to be burned up. And then these people, you and me, who are the ambassadors, are going to be fitted with a new body that shines as bright as the sun. Either, I mean, to me, I think logically, either what everything I'm saying right now is a joke, it's, a, it's like a lie, a fairy tale, Harry Potter is just as real as this. If that's true, if that's true, what we're doing right now is so stupid, you just giving me an hour to listen, you are stupid. Like, really? In my job, I mean, I often think of it like, I often will think of people that want to have nothing to do with the church anymore, and they leave, and, and they're like, you know what, we don't really need the church. And, and they're nice to me, but you know what they're saying to me? Your job is so dumb, Chris. It really is! Like, it really is! It's so stupid, putting together this thing called the church, like, come on, like, really? So what they're saying to me is that degree and all the money I paid for it and all my years of spending here has been a waste of time. A waste. Even though they'll say, no, but I like you. No, you don't. Stop it. But it, again, it's not about me. I'm just logically thinking up. But if what I'm saying is true, if what I'm saying is real, we're, go <laughs> we're going to, and you have to think like this, what keeps me sane, we're going to see Jesus, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, coming out of the sky with fire. And then it says those who believe the gospel are going to marvel. They're going to marvel at him. They're going to say, I wish I would have told more people. So the question, honestly, is if this is not true, Paul says we are we are considering all human beings the most foolish. If this is true, we are considering all human beings we are the most blessed. And I believe we are the most blessed. That's why I don't mind looking stupid sometimes. Because I want you in heaven. But I also want you to give peace. 
others. Thanks for listening to my long-windedness. I just believe it. I just believe it. I believe it more than any. Do you guys know who Brett Beisel is? Do you know who he is? Brett Beisel, it's the craziest thing. I just walked in this morning. I just walked in this morning and somebody said, Brett Beisel just got hit on 13 mile last week and died. What? Brett Beisel used to just cut our lawn out there and sell it for hay. Brett Beisel, do you every once in a while come to my office because he runs, it looks like Bushel, uh funeral home down on Alpine. He'd just come in and talk to me. Hey, Pastor Chris, how are you doing today? Like I just, I was walking in the foyer and Jerry Momber said, did you hear Brett's dead? What? I, sometimes I can't understand this world. Dave Harrison's gone? What? They are done. They're done. You have peace. Give it. Because it's coming, man.